at the lights. So we got the church to send a priest over to perform a blessing on the house and the occupants. Whatever was oppressing that apartment was no longer with them. Any questions? Yes. Where's the doll now? Someplace safe. Yep. So what are you guys? I mean, what do people call you? Uh, well, we've been called demonologists. It's one name for us. Ghost hunters, paranormal researchers. Kooks. <laughs> Wackos. But we prefer to be known simply as Ed and Lorraine Warren. presented by the good people at the Podbelly Network. My fellow Americans, we are fortunate to be alive. They need them to protect us from the number one killer in history. Protect us from the Central University. A study on Hawaii for the 290. A study on Hawaii. It's called Pimpside. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 234 of the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. I am your host in the place to be, Mr. Jacob P., and sitting right across from me on the final week of October. I believe as we're recording this episode, we're two days away from Halloween, but sitting right across from me is the brown recluse, Mr. Art Trail. Art, say hello to the millions. And millions. What the fuck is going on? Is this getting released on Halloween? I'm going to make a point to make it be released on Halloween. Okay. Damn. Um, what's cracking, Kakawatis? Hope you guys are doing well. Happy Halloween. Hope you guys are having some spooky good times with your friends and family. Stay out of trouble. Check your children's candy for razor blades. Mm. Um, guys, we are brought to you by Caveman Coffee. Guys, go to cavemancoffee.com. Check out their entire inventory of the coffee beans, the cold brews, the hibiscus tea, the cacao butter, the hats, the pants. I was going to go into that whole, like, cornbread, potato. I can't get that song out of my head now. Uh, you name it. Cornbread. Have you seen the video where, like, Snoop Dogg's, like, dancing along to it? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Um, but uh, anyways, guys, uh, check it all out. Use promo code AMERICA at checkout to receive 15% off your total purchase price. Uh, take a picture of yourself drinking the coffee, wearing the shirts, wearing the hat, drinking the hibiscus tea. Tag us, tag them. It shows that you care. It shows that you, you you listen. We appreciate it. They appreciate it. And speaking of sponsors, guys, make sure you check out our other sponsor. Guys, go ahead and head on over to sucrapparel.com where the great, the powerful, I'm not going to say flavorful because that's uh, uh, safe for another sponsor, but go to sucrapparel.com where Nicole, the great, powerful, <laughs> Nicole Smith Bosch potato. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole Smith Bosch, she might be a potato. I don't know. Uh, she Mosh has, potato. Mosh potato. Uh, she might, or she might. 
She has, definitely, she has an assortment of merchandise on her website that she puts up and takes down uh, on the regular. So you need to check Sucre Apparel every single day, see what you like. And when you find something you like, go ahead and put in your basket, enter promo code ARTANJACOB, and Nicole will give you 10% off your entire purchase. And if you want to check it out before you buy, head on over to jfwent33 on all the social medias where you'll find our buddy our pal at the words are hard podcast mr jesus fuentes rocking that shit like he was a calvin klein model i think the other day he was sporting a man thong in one of nicole smith's shirts yes he was he, t- he probably took it down because he was getting too many of those like uh, eggplant emojis underneath oh, it. oh yeah he was feeling sexually assaulted at that point but um head on over there to sucrosapparel.com buy yourself all the merchandise and a promo code art and jacob and nicole will give you the 10% off. But guys, we are not here to talk about eggplants or hibiscus teas. Art, what are we here to talk about on this beautiful October? Guys, we're, we're talking about um, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, if you are not familiar with them, you probably just don't know the name. But if you are familiar with them, they're famous paranormal investigators, probably demonologists. The ghost hunters, I want to say. The big, the first that I know of. I'm sure there's been other ones out there, yeah. but uh, they're the face. They're the they're the face of uh, of ghost hunting, mm-hmm. uh, as we know it. Um, they're pretty famous. Uh, I was telling Jacob last week when when uh, we were kicking around the idea for this topic that how I first heard about him was uh, Ed was already dead when I heard about him. But I heard of uh, of uh, Lorraine Warren. She would come on this show called uh, Paranormal You, and like basically do a bunch of ghost hunting with all these teenagers. <laughs> and like I was, she always looked really creepy. Like it was like that creepy old lady. She always dresses like all like proper. Like mm-hmm. like she gives you hard candy when you go to to her oh. house. Like um, and like dry fruit Some and shit like that. Like, like, it's like I want candy for Halloween. And it's like a bunch of dry fruit, dry <laughs> apricots. <laughs> And it's like, oh, this one has cobwebs on it. It's a real cobweb. That's not a fake cobweb. Um, yeah, it's like she looks like that lady. And that's how I first heard about them. Obviously, with the popularity of the uh, the cases, the movies followed. The Conjuring was the big one that popped out out of mm-hmm. nowhere and became a smash hit. Um, you know, basically brought paranormal movies, and now they won't go away because now they have their own universe. Like universe of paranormal hauntings like la llorona was part of that apparently yeah. like it was like they snuck it in there yeah. they made like references there's like it's like the ant-man or like <laughs> i'm trying to think like benham it, benham, benham yeah. is like part of the universe now and like they like snuck them in there like that that's la llorona benham is la llorona <laughs> uh, I, yeah i'm trying to think of like the hulk is clearly like the the what's the the Annabelle. nun. I was oh, gonna yeah. say like the nun because like Hulk, there's like that one off one, and it's like it wasn't that enjoyable. <laughs> oh, the Edward Norton and <laughs> yeah, Eric we'll Bannon. say that one. Yeah, like Edward Norton's Hulk is like that's that's clearly the nun. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed both movies, but they're not as good as uh, Avengers uh, Endgame or fucking Thor Ragnarok or anything like that. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, did I ever tell you about the time I went to go see? I forgot what movie I was gonna go see. But there was they put two lines together like you're gonna go see this movie and then this this before COVID obviously and then other people are gonna go see this movie and like the line for our movie kept getting longer and longer and longer and there was one dude in the other line and then he's like uh what you, are you guys in line for the nun or because I'm in the l- line for the nun and uh, <laughs> oh no sorry not the nun uh, La Llorona uh-huh. and it was like one Mexican dude and like he had his bag of popcorn and I felt really bad for him. I thought about joining him in the other one. Cause I was like, at least there's two Mexican dudes <laughs> over here. <laughs> 
but I think I was only going to go see like the Sonic the Hedgehog movie or something. Wow. <laughs> I forgot. It was like some, oh, it was Detective Pikachu. <laughs> That's what I was in line for. It was a good movie. Okay, yeah. Um, but, um, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, speaking of it, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. the War, yeah. Damn, like it was just not, yeah, those movies were bad. Some yeah. of them were bad. Some of them were pretty good. Yeah, I like the first Conjuring movie the a lot. The first Conjuring movie is like a, it's, it reminded me of like old school 80s like horror movies, mm-hmm. which, but but the the story that they depict Ed and Lorraine Warren in these movies is not so much. Yeah, as you'll see as we go down case by case, a lot of these what's actually told or depicted in media is a lot different from like the actual story, and sometimes the whole story is bullshit. So um, before we get into all of that, Art, do you want to go ahead and explain who for people who are not familiar with the Conjuring multiverse or fucking you know the 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 last chance you fucking show that Lorraine was on. Do you want to go ahead and explain who Ed and Lorraine Warren were? Um, yeah, I mean, they were <laughs> ghost hunters. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially who they were. That's not always who they were as, as their youth. Let's, I guess we can get into their, their youth. They eventually become, like, the most famous ghost hunters mm-hmm. for a lot of years. Um, Ed uh, pretty much... Self-proclaimed, grew up on a haunted haunted house similar mm-hmm. to Jacob, as they have similar experiences, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but he says that he grew up in a haunted house. That's how his his love and his passion for 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 uh, ghosts started. And I guess it was suppressed a little bit because his dad was a police officer and always told him like, "Oh, there's an, a logical explanation for everything that's happening in our house." And I guess like he was seeing like this like ghost apparition that would like you know pop up out of like his armoire or something like that, and like it appeared to him kind of like Glenda the Good Witch like in like uh, uh, the Wizard of Oz like appear like in these orbs that you see like in photographs and whatnot and like talk to him and fucking freak him out and shit. And his dad was like, "Dude, no, dude, that's just fucking that's we didn't pay our PG. His dad was off. a cop. I'm trying to think. What was that guy's name? Melvin. Melvin. <laughs> Mel- I'm, hey, I'm your dad, Melvin, dude. <laughs> hey, dude, I, I can't have you looking at orbs, dude. <laughs> <laughs> my little cacahuate. Hey, dude, I, you're my you're my baby cacahuate and everything. <laughs> where I might to crack you, son. This gun is loaded with only two bullets, one for you, one for me, you know? <laughs> That's uh, why you're seeing fucking orbs, because... <laughs> I'd rather, I rather see you die than see you be made fun than of. Than see you lie, homie. <laughs> um, but yeah, shout out to Melvin. Yeah, but anyways, uh, he, he was a self-proclaimed, self-taught demonologist. Uh, he actually uh, goes into the Navy um, and survives, I guess, like this horrible uh, accident on a ship where I believe like 260 people died. Only nine people survived. And the only reason why he survived is because he kept reciting the Lord's Prayer over and over again. And, you know, the archangel Michael fucking swooped down from the heavens and saved Ed. Does he actually say that? He says it a couple times. Man. Oh, my goodness. Because, OK, so I heard that story, but I didn't know he was saying it. Mm hmm. So, yeah, and uh, swoops him down and saves him to later on do what he says, not us, what we say, but to do the Lord's work. Yeah, yeah. So if you think that's crazy, let me introduce you to Lorraine Warren. So Lorraine Warren, as a child, basically did not grow up in a haunted house, uh, but she said she could communicate. Actually, she said she could see the future. It was kind of a weird Mm. story, but this is... She was going to school, I believe, what's it called when they're like nuns that are teaching you? Oh, private school. Private school, whatever. <laughs> so they were planting trees for Archer Day, Arbor Day, Arbor Day, sorry, yeah. Archer Day is that animated TV show. Um, so um, for for Arbor Day, which 
Did you ever do that as a kid? Because I didn't no. do that. I went to public school. Yeah, I was like, I, I don't remember doing it. We didn't have money for trees. No. Um, we went to Frito-Lay one time. And... Yeah. Do you remember <laughs> they gave us hairnets and we could put as many chips as we could fill our hairnets with to take home? <laughs> I sure as fuck I thought do. I hit the jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told my parents about that for like a month. <laughs> I um, still tell it. I don't yeah. Know. I think I tried to eat all the chips before I could get home so I didn't have to share with my sisters. <laughs> 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 I haven't ate this good in a while. Um, anyways... Um, so she claims that she could see the tree as its fully formed version of the tree, and the nun was like, "Oh, it sounds like you can see the future." Uh, I do think that it's like whenever like you start telling kids all this bullshit, like you know, like now like parents will always tell their kids that they're special. Like anytime that something bad happens, I was like, mm, "But I'm special." Mm-hmm. It's like you gotta knock that shit out. Like I, I get it that she's rich. Probably... You're not. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Shots to Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Um. Um. <laughs> But I do think that, like, some of her is, like, a little bit, like, bullshit. Um, so she says that basically she can see the future. She can kind of communicate with, like, beings that aren't there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't full-on say that they're ghosts at this point. She's actually a pretty big skeptic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Which like, I thought was weird. If you can do all that, like, why would you be a skeptic? You know what? I thought that, too. And I was like, this kind of, here's, here's my issue with it because it's kind of bullshit. Like, here's <laughs> – I think that it's kind of, like – you know where we talked about the, the Winchester Mystery House? Like, that that era of, like, Ouija board and all that stuff and, like, mysticism and, like, spiritualism was still a thing. Like, mm-hmm. it was very much a thing. Although not popular, Ouija boards are still being sold. It was it was kind of like being into, like, I'm trying to think, like, being into... Pogs. Pogs. Like, that one friend. I'm trying to think of, like, that one friend that collects something weird, but it's, like, not that comic book guy. You know, like, if you're a comic book guy... And not even, like, cool comic books. Like, oh, this dude's collecting Flash. Like, he's, like, collecting, like, hentai anime porn stuff where it's, like, he's, like, but it's worth a lot of money. And I'm, like, is it, though? Is it worth not – is it worth the divorce from your wife? (laughs) 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 But, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I I feel like her whole thing was. Like, she was was into, like, a weird part of – of spiritualism where she's like, oh, I can fucking see things. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you can't. And that's why you're a skeptic. That's how I feel about her. Cause I don't believe any of that, any of that shit that I don't think anything she said was ever true. I think she just kind of like, and, um, not to spoil the lead, but there's a case later on, uh, that we'll get into where, uh, one of the guys that kind of fact checks her or comes behind on the, the Warren says that if she told me that the sun was going to rise tomorrow, I would get a second opinion. Wow. Yeah. That's so. a pretty bold, that's a bold that's statement. A bold statement, yeah. So, um, yep, so she's, I guess, a self-proclaimed clairvoyant and light medium. Uh, kind of fast forward through this. Uh, they go through their own, like, struggles as children well, with their gifts, if you will. Uh, but they find each other later on in life at a movie theater. Uh, Ed kind of uh, tells her and her three friends that, hey, I'm going to treat all of you ladies to a Coke. And um, when they get to the ice cream shop to, you know, get that Coke, Lorraine says, I'll have a Coke and ice cream. And they make a joke that, oh, I knew from that moment you were nothing but a gold digger kind of thing. Like a little, you're the one because you stood out from other ones or whatever, right? But anyways, um, you know, he, you know, after courting her for a little bit, he leaves to go to the Navy or whatnot. He experiences, you know, his archangel, you know, story or whatnot. Uh, he gets sent home um, on survivor's leave, and it's then, like, when he realizes, like, oh, I got to marry this woman because I never know when, you know, God will call me home. 
and you know starts taking painting classes. He's like, you know, you know, fuck this, you know, fighting for the man. They were both very artsy. Yeah, and he takes arts cla- art classes, and he starts painting and selling selling paintings to earn a living for his fledgling family. Uh, but he still has a love for the paranormal. So what him and Lorraine do is they park themselves in front of supposed supposed haunted uh, homes or homes yeah. that have had paranormal activity. They live in New England, Connecticut, which. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you on the Patreon, which we didn't, because we spent most of the time talking about Dave Chappelle and you know Blackhawks getting you know their black. It was a pretty serious one. Yeah, it was. Um, going to uh, Salem next year. Um, to the you're gonna go to Salem next year? Yeah, and I was gonna invite you because I don't want to hang Ooh, out. What year or what? What year? What um? <laughs> what month? Probably October. Next next October? Yeah. I'm kind of down. That's yeah. far enough where I could plan things out. Okay. Yeah, same here. And I don't want to hang out with uh, certain people within her family. So I was like, hey, let me invite Art. We can do a live podcast from the Salem Witch Trials or whatnot. But um, if you notice, though, um, there is a lot of paranormal activity in the New England, Connecticut area, Salem being one of them, uh, but particularly where, you know, the Warrens were at. And what they would do is, you know, they would, like I said, like they would find a house that was supposedly haunted or full of paranormal activity per local lore. Ed would sit in front of there, paint a picture of it, and Lorraine would go up with her Irish charm, as they said, and say, hey, my husband painted this picture of your home. We hear it's haunted, and this is what we saw when we were painting. And so that's how they would gain entry to this house, and they would get the stories that the family would tell them. And that's how they started their paranormal paranormal career, by retelling those stories. So one thing... I don't. I don't think you mentioned it, but they would, they would look through newspaper clippings, and apparently this is something that was popular enough. Like I said, the whole spiritualism was like a popular like back thing or whatever. Like this, some people were into this, but it was making newspaper. Like you wouldn't see that in newspaper now, haunted house or whatever. Like you won't see that in newspapers now, but it was popular enough back then that it was. So. um they would look for those and they would find them and they'd be like, oh, they talked about how they would see like an old man with like a fucking spatula in his hand. <laughs> so that's what he would draw. Like he would draw like a house with like an old man with a spatula in his hand and things like that. Like it was like whatever they were saying, he'd be like, is this what you saw? Because like she's a clairvoyant. She can-. And it was like, it totally reminds me of like fortune tellers now where it's like if you show up with like a fucking armani suit and you want to know like you're probably going in there to talk about like money concerns you're not Mm. going in there because you're you know or like single girl like you're probably like why would a am i gonna find true love yeah they said it was scorpio season yeah oh my goodness (laughs) dude i don't know who posted oh sorry to get on a tangent here Shout out to Nicole Smith Bosch. Guys, use the promo code America or Art and Jacob. Art and Jacob to receive fifteen percent off at her. She posted something where it was um like Scorpio season, all these things, but they were characters from um Ah uh, what's that one um David Bowie movie? The Labyrinth. Mm. And I was like, I don't get these. Like I don't get them at all. Like am I the only person on earth that doesn't understand why this is funny? Like and then I thought, what if I just started posting pictures of inanimate objects? Like a water bottle and I'm like, oh fucking Capricorn. And it's like and then just posting that to see if it gets likes. I thought about doing that and I was like, that'd be too too extreme, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I just feel like I'm the only person that doesn't get why this is interesting or funny or like. I don't know. I never seen the labyrinth. So maybe there's some connection there, but I don't know. Yeah, but but I'm not saying like she's like all oh, fucking Nicole Smith boss posting that shit. I'm talking about a lot of people post that, but with like different 
things, it'll be like a fucking person waking up. Or, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> I'll have someone explain that to me. Shout out to the great and powerful. Uh, but anyways, yes, that's what Ed and Lorraine Warren would do uh, to kind of build, I guess, build their portfolio. Because what they would do is they would tell these stories. They would, you know, go around, you know, to lecture halls and, you know, tell the stories. Get me. Because you got to face it, a good ghost story is is amazing to hear, even true or false. You know, don't let the truth get in the way of a, a good story. So they would go around the lecture circuit, you know, to colleges, high schools, wherever they could, you know, share these stories and, um, you know, kind of make their, their, their way in this life doing that. Eventually, what would happen is, is that, you know, they became demonologists and they knew how to get rid of these spirits or these demons or what have you. And kind of like, you know, hey, hey, do you know like a good plumber? Like they started to get referrals to the, to go to these houses and uh, help these people in need to get rid of, like let's say like my haunted house. Like, hey, how do we get rid of this demon that's knocking in the wall or, you know, putting footprints in the snow and shit? Like what avenues do I have to go? Because you got to realize this is a time before, obviously before the internet, uh, a lot of these people, when you go to the church, uh, we did a whole episode about exorcism. When you go to the church, a lot of times the churches will dismiss paranormal claims. It's like, oh, there's got to be, you know, some kind of logical explanation of it. And that's that's a testament to churches, you know, mostly the Catholic church. Uh, the church that we went to obviously did do that because they tried to do two unsuccessful exorcisms on my uh, my mom's house. But most churches will say, like, no, there's there's something that, you know, else that explains it. There's, there's not a demon living in there. But Ed and Lorraine Warren, they would ham it up, and if their local church wouldn't, you know, perform an exorcism or a blessing on the house, they would get somebody else from a local city or township to come in and do uh, the exorcism that they were looking for. Yeah, I, I think that that's pretty important. We said the uh, like don't get don't let the uh, truth get in the way of a good story, mm-hmm. um, because um, a lot of times and and like you fast forward to what we know of cases and things like that. Some of the popular cases, and I don't know if you want to get into some of their more popular cases now, but because they do this for a couple of years where they're basically, you know, being the Ghostbusters traveling across America and like and they say they investigate over ten thousand paranormal cases and um one podcast they kind of pointed out they're like when you really sit down and think about it like from the time they start so like in 1952 this is when they start this is when they start the new england society for paranormal research uh which is like a team of like ghost hunters if you will uh from 1952 to all the way up in like 2019 when lorraine finally passes away uh it would be physically impossible to do it even if they did it every single day of their life and took no days off or whatever it'd be almost impossible to to pull that off so it's cut right there you got to think like oh that's it's kind of bullshit man yeah the one of the cases that i i I guess i'll kick this off here with one of the cases that i found the most interesting was it's a pretty famous case i think there is a movie out there called um a haunting in connecticut correct and it's most people call it that the haunting in Connecticut case, where basically a family moves into a a new home in, in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and they basically all pick rooms out, and the son gets to pick the basement because he's like, "Oh man, I'm gonna be a rebellious teenager and like sleep down here and all this shit." I'll make some fat beats on GarageBand. Yeah, he's like, "Dude, I'm gonna be whacking off to this like <laughs> fucking anime porn that <laughs> that I've been collecting. In no way will this affect me later." Um, but um, so anyway, so they all pick their rooms. Um, they later discover like, well, not later, but they, as soon as they get there, they discover that the, the basement has a lot of like weird qualities to it. Mm-hmm. It has like strange pipes, it has strange chains. 
so they ask about like, wait, why are all these like strange pipes and chains in, in the basement? And they're like, oh, this used to be a mortuary home. And yeah. this is where they would do the body embalmments. And they found like toe tags and like all sorts of like, you know, tools that, you know, you would use to fucking, you know, prepare a body for, uh, for burial or to be shown. Yeah. So basically adds that creep factor in it. And then this is, I, 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 this is one of the things that I feel like is always really important because it's, if you walk into a home, a home and you know nothing about it and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, like this is where Charles Manson lived like his entire life and like. Some people say they hear Charles Manson late at night. And it's like, I think for that point on, that's like the whole inception thing. Like you've planted the idea of every noise that you hear is Charles Manson or it's just a fucking old ass house or whatever, you know? Like, Mm. so I do think that this is where, where a lot of, a lot of that started. This kid, um, starts kind of having issues like emotional issues. Mm. Uh, the whole family starts seeing weird apparitions. They see like dark figures walking into the rooms at night the dad claims that he saw a dark figure go to his bed and like sit at his bedside. And then he remembers just like waking up and being like, Oh man, what the hell was that all about? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, they start, this I thought was weird. They keep finding like poetry that they, that the, that the son is writing, which is like, okay, like that's every fucking teenager. listens to Lincoln park. Like he's just writing like shitty poetry and like putting it out there. Like, and like the mom's fighting is like, dude, what do you mean crawling in the dark? What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so it's just like kind of like shitty poetry that the son's yeah. writing. Um, was this the one too, like where they were the mop bucket turned like blood red and whatnot? Um, I don't I'm sure, <laughs> but the, the big thing about this case is that eventually the son, um, you know, starts kind of having like obvious mental issues. They find out that the the son has uh like right. leukemia. And they have to be taking him to the to to the um, to the doctor every so often. Mm-hmm. It also comes out that that dark figure that's been going in in and out of rooms uh, was the son, and he oh, like wow. m- molested his like cousins and molested his dad, which is kind of weird. Um, yeah, it's sexual <laughs> assault. Yeah, while his dad was asleep. Um, but uh, it is it is a it is a weird case because if you watch the movie A Haunting in Connecticut, there's like nothing about that. It's like a demon, like it's always like a demon that like possesses people, and it's like, dude, that that kid was like, that's that's like if the you know if you listen to the Patreon, but that's like if the Blackhawks would later on come out and be like, I, I think that we had a demon <laughs> at the United <laughs> Center. <laughs> yeah, and what's funny is is that um you mentioned it before we started recording is like the family like they kind of leaned into that story as well. And they actually hired Ed and Lorraine Warren to come out again, like we were saying that, like, yeah. hey, like they weren't getting any help uh, from their church or whatnot, and so they asked Ed and Lorraine Warren because this is 1986, so it's obviously 30 years they've been in the game. They're, they've had a couple of other cases that we'll get into under their belt, so like they're famous for like getting the job done, kind of thing, like or getting the help that they'll need. And so they they hire Ed and Lorraine Warren, and then Ed and Lorraine Warren they kind of like go through the house and be like, "Yep, definitely demons, dude. It's not your son and yeah. his mental disorders and <laughs> all these drugs and you know alcohol uh, problems that you know the rest of the family are you know going through." Because uh, I guess like one, a couple of the people are like are hooked on LSD, so obviously that's gonna fuck with like your mental state. Instead of seeing yeah. like art come through, you know, helicoptering his penis at me. I'm going to think that, hey, it's a masturbation demon that's coming after me. That's a semen demon. That's the semen demon. This fucking uh, Mexican semen demon smelling like fucking... Fuck, smelling like like champurrado. Smell like arroz con leche. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hey, why, why'd you dump this old bowl? <laughs> hey, dude, you spilled a bunch of arroz con leche or All over my chest, eh? Hey, dude, that's weird, dude. Not on my chest, dude. Let's <laughs> put it on my toes, dude. Some people are into that. I got toe tags down here for a reason. Hey, these toe tags, that each one, I write them down every time I get arroz con leche on my feet. <laughs> Shout out to my... <laughs> What was that guy's name, Melvin? Oh, I'll tie it in later on. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but the Warrens actually- Oh, that's a cool shirt. I just noticed your shirt. That's a cool shirt. Shout out to Jacob's shirt. Yes. If you watch the YouTube, you'll see it. Uh, but the uh, the Warrens actually hire uh, a horror writer, Ray Garten, to come in. Uh, and he actually writes a uh, book about this case called In a Dark Place that comes out in 1992 uh, to basically you know interview the family, get their stories together, you know, and publish this book. In collaboration with the Warrens, which the Warrens would do a lot. I believe they published like something like, like nine, ten, or eleven books this way. Uh, but they got Ray to come in and interview the family and take down the stories and publish it and whatnot. Uh, but Ray went up to Ed and he said, "Dude, the family can't get their story straight. Like it just seems like they're lying." And basically, Ed just told him, "He goes, you got some of the story. Just use what works and make the rest up. Just make it up and make it scary." So. And- <laughs> I, I saw that as well. Yeah, so it kind of sets the tone, I guess you could say, for like the rest of the cases where, in my opinion, and the, for the the paranormal community, I guess you could say, if that really is a real community, I guess, uh, you either love the Warrens or you hate them for alleged stories like this. Well, in a way, they're kind of, remember, what's that guy's name? Like Josh Baggins, that like, buff dude that like is always like push me push me you demon yeah. well, come on semen demon put, put the boxing gloves on right now and fight me in a spiritual realm and it's like what the hell are you talking about josh like you were just eating taco bell like 10 minutes ago and now you're like trying to like wrestle a demon mm-hmm. in your underpants like come right me yeah yeah come fill me up with cum <laughs> <laughs> i want some arroz con leche <laughs> this cum don't run <laughs> <laughs> um zach baggins yeah. yeah anyways we gotta do an episode on those guys because they're hilarious yeah um but <laughs> but uh but basically, like, it's kind of the equivalent of that. Like, if you watch one of those Ghost Hunter shows, yeah. like, don't they always get cold? Don't they always feel a scratch? They always feel a presence. Like, mm. and it's just, like, un- like untangible. Like, basically things that can't be measured or whatever. Like, you, you, you can't see these things. Like, you can't feel a cold presence. You can't see these things. Through the television. Uh, through the television, I mean. And it's just, like, it's always just, like, bullshit like little things that they find and it but they ham it up for the camera like they're always like oh did you hear that mm-hmm. and it's like clearly like a cricket or something they hit a microphone and, yeah and it's just like i heard that so i think it said i'm gonna suck your dick demon or something <laughs> it's always like weird things like that. <laughs> and it, give me that chon chon dude okay so i went down this rabbit hole last week you mentioned um what's that one uh unsolved uh forgot the the two guys that stayed the oh, night buzzfeed unsolved Buzz, buzzfeed unsolved and, and there's one case. I think I watched that. I went to go watch that episode because I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, the Winchester one? The Winchester episode. And then there's one part where they're like recording it and it's, and uh, he says he hears something on the microphone. He's like, I think it said like, get out of the house or something like that. And it just, all you hear is like, yeah. he's like, I think it said get out of the house. And the other guy just kind of rolls his eyes. And I was like, I feel like one is like, both of those expressions are like legit. Like I think one guy like legitimately hears that, but I think mm-hmm. a lot of that is like fear. Like, and it's natural to be scared in those situations. And the other guy's just like a total skeptic. Mm. Um, but I feel like these guys are just like every little thing that we can find, every mosquito that flies by is clearly a demon. Every it's like, demon. 
Yeah, it's just like, oh my god, dude, that's they're hard to watch. And Ed and Lorraine Warren were the originals of that. Like every Correct. fucking like wood panel that crack creaks. Because a lot of these ghost hunters, they take a page out of Ed and Lorraine Warren's oh, playbook. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's very obvious too. You know, a couple of Patreons ago, we were talking about how like, you know, there's certain artists that come out and they're all playing out of you know the Little Richard fucking David Bowie uh, playbook of like, oh, I'm going to be androgynous and I'm going to wear women's clothing kind of yeah. thing. And it's always like, they they, they were the originals. They, like, they started that shit, so. Yeah, no, definitely. So uh, probably the first case and probably the most famous case, you know, whether you're talking about the Conjuring universe or just them in general, is uh, the Annabelle case. And just a real quick uh, synopsis of what happened. I'm kind of going to shotgun some of these cases just for, for time's sake. But if the story's more interesting or whatever, there'll probably be an episode down the line. So uh, with Annabelle in 1970, uh, a mother gives a Raggedy Ann doll to her daughter who's about to graduate nursing school. She's 28, by the way. Why are you giving her a doll? Yeah, that is kind of weird. But uh, her name's Donna. Uh, Donna has a roommate named Angie. And uh, when she brings Annabelle home... Uh, she kind of just like ornamentally places her all like on her bed. So I'm assuming she's like one of those girls that has like like ten thousand pillows on her bed, and it takes her like seventy five minutes to get ready in the morning because she's got to rearrange her pillows or whatever. I think that's super unnecessary. If you're one of those people, stop it. There's better things you can be doing with your time. But anyways, she did this. Uh, she arranged Annabelle on the bed, and uh, her and Angie started to notice that you know there would be small movements in Annabelle. She would place her on the bed and go off to nursing school or her job at, you know, hot dog on a stick. And Annabelle would be sitting in a chair or Annabelle would be, you know, sitting on the bathroom toilet or something like that. And obviously, I'm making a joke of this or whatever, mm-hmm. because it, it is kind of ridiculous. I, I've done this a million times where I think I've placed, you know, something, you know, within the room somewhere. And mysteriously, it's on the counter somewhere. And usually there's a good explanation of it. It's my girlfriend moving it because, fuck, that shit was in my way. I had to clean this. Or I had to do this or whatever. Right. And again, she has a roommate, so it's not like she's alone. Her roommate's bringing in people. So automatically my mind's thinking that. Uh, but eventually, one month later, uh, they start to find uh, letters all over the house. Some saying, help us, help Lou. And they are all written on parchment paper. Now, Angie and Donna would say, dude, we didn't even own parchment paper. And why the fuck is she saying, help Lou? Well, Lou was a friend um, or some say a fiance, depending on who's telling the story of Angie. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, it's obviously Lou is fucking around with these girls or whatever, right? If he's got access to the house, you know, if he's the boyfriend or even just a casual friend or uh, or whatever, um, he's coming into the house, he's rearranging the Annabelle, he's playing a trick because obviously we've all done something similar to this in our life. And later on, they would see that Annabelle would have even more extreme movement where, you know, she'd be hanging upside down, like, you know, on the light fixture. Uh, one day, you know, Donna comes home and she sees that there's blood on the back of Annabelle's hands and chest. Now, this is where they start to get a little bit freaked out. They, they, in my opinion, this is where they fuck up. And you mentioned it earlier. This is very much in the time frame where like seances and hiring mediums was a thing. So what they do being, you know, women in their late 20s, they contact a medium to do a seance with Annabelle in the apartment. And what the medium says is, is that they're, I'm feeling a spirit. It's the spirit of this 
Annabelle Higgins that used to live on the property about a hundred years ago. And she was this seven-year-old girl that died tragically in a field where these apartments would later on be built. And all she wants, she wants, she, she feels comfort from you two girls. And she wants to know if she can inhibit this Raggedy Ann doll and live with you girls to find some comfort with you guys. And so Angie and Donna were like, yes, of course, we're nurses. We help people. We want to, we want to make sure, you know, that this child, this, you know, ghost child finds comfort. And this is where shit starts to pop off a little bit worse. So Lou, he's, uh, he's taking a nap, you know, on the couch or on one of the girls' bed. And all of a sudden he starts to, you know, feel hot flashes. He starts to sweat and he starts to feel something run up his leg and he cannot move. And then all of a sudden, he opens his eyes and he sees the Annabelle doll crawling up his leg in an attempt to choke him. Now, somehow, some way, uh, the Annabelle doll stops, and you know they attempt to get rid of the doll. Now, a couple of weeks later, um, you know he's chilling with the girls in the room by itself, and all of a sudden they hear like all this like crazy noise in um in the next room and they're thinking like oh my god someone's breaking into our apartment so uh lou runs into the next room unlocks the door gets in the room and nothing is in there but he feels like this dark presence behind him and when he goes to turn around he sees nothing there but he notices the only thing that is there is the annabelle doll and when he sees annabelle he see he feels something on the back of his on, on his back that slashes at him and he looks in the mirror and he has seven claw marks on his body, which apparently, you know, by the time he's able to go to the doctor or whatever, disappears somehow. But it was described as like these intense, like, you know, hot, you know, claw marks that went across his back. Um, eventually, they call an Episcopal priest named Father Hegan, who says, hey, no, dude, this sounds weird. Like, uh, <laughs> there's got to be a logical explanation from this. Uh, let me contact uh, the, uh, our most senior pastor, uh, Father Cook, who you know has more experience with the paranormal. Uh, Father Cook is like, hey, you know what? The church will not allow us to you know go in and you know do anything per se until we have this properly vetted. Uh, what you probably want to do is contact these up and comers called Ed and Lorraine Warren, so they can do a proper investigation. I can use any evidence that they find, and maybe we can go in with the church's blessing and do, you know, some kind of exorcism or recite something to get this house, you know, cleared up. So Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, they investigate, and, you know, they're interviewing the girls. And a lot of this is in the first Conjuring movie, um, almost to a T. What, you know, the girls say is in the movie. Uh, they investigate, you know, the house, and they say, yeah, we feel some kind of presence here. Do you mind telling us the story of, you know, how you obtained this doll? So they start to tell the story, and right when they get to the part about the medium and inviting the the ghost into the doll, they said, "Guys, you fuck. That's where you guys fucked up. The doll isn't haunted. You're in the infestation stage of a demonic possession. The demon, or the spirit, or the entity. You know, they were they saw, you know, what you guys were." And they wanted to possess one of the two of you. And that was the first stage of them doing this, is gaining your trust by telling this fake story of this Annabelle Higgins. And, you know, eventually they that demon was going to go inside of you guys. It's And thankfully you called us because now we're going to, you know, get the church to do a blessing. They do a seven-page Episcopal blessing of the house uh, with Father Cook and Ed and Lorraine Warren. They take the doll just because, you know, for 
for comfort's sake, you know, for the uh, two girls. They didn't want to have that doll in their home anymore. And I guess on the way home, uh, Ed and Lorraine start to experience a lot of, like, car problems, like the car wanting yeah. to, like, run off the road and whatnot. And I guess Ed, like, had to pull off and, like, you know, douse it with holy water. And that was, like, the only way they can, like, get it to, to stop. But I guess, like, to shotgun this story a little bit more, uh, this is where you get, like, the picture of uh, Annabelle, like, in this locked case. Ed tells stories about, you know, people mocking it or saying that, oh, this fucking Raggedy Ann doll ain't shit. And, like, people, you know, antagonizing her and then crashing, you know, later, like, two hours later, you know, down the road. A priest even saying, like, hey, you guys need to cut this off. This is bullshit. This is blasphemy. The priest getting into an almost fatal car accident. And eventually you get, you know, the Annabelle movies and all this shit. So my issue with this whole thing is um, this is – most of this is – a accounts from ed and lorraine warren mm. and most of that is at some point the girls stopped talking to anybody about this they almost wanted to have nothing to do with the the, the annabelle story so there was no like further communication with the girls they kind of go into obscurity and like you never hear about them ever again mm. um the like i said i think we were talking about this maybe during the patreon maybe before we started recording but um there was a story of uh of uh, the Twilight Zone, where basically it's a haunted doll. And it's living almost, doll. Yeah, and it's like almost like word for word what's going on here. Um, a lot of what what they experience with the haunted doll and like people having car tra- Problem. car problems and and like people having car accidents and all this stuff for mocking the doll. It's there's another case of like Robert the doll that's like almost exactly the same thing. And mm-hmm. I feel like they just wanted their version of Robert the doll. And I always think like. If it's so haunted, if it's so, like, badass, like, why are you letting people go check out your haunted museum? And on the 30th of this month in um, the Marriott in Connecticut, where, you know, they st- where the son-in-law runs their business now, you can actually take pictures with this actual Annabelle doll. And that's my thought. That was my first thought process, too. If this was truly, like, a fucking demon-possessed fucking uh, entity or whatever, or doll or whatever, why would you be taking on tour and having people fucking take pictures with it on Halloween? Yeah, I don't understand that at all. I think, I, I mean, if if it hasn't been clear to you by this time, listeners, listeners, listen up. Um, I, I think these guys are fucking scam artists. Like, mm-hmm. and I th- think too with the whole Twilight Zone thing, this was a time frame before like you know VHS recorders or you know that they would even like reshow television shows. Like that was the one time we showed this shit. Like that was the one time that fucking you know CBS was gonna air this episode and. I think they were like thinking, you know, like, oh, it's it's been a few years now. I believe like 1965. That's when that episode aired. It was 1970. Them thinking like, oh, people probably forgot about that by now. Fucking, we got we got a man on the moon by now, man. We, mm-hmm. What the fuck are you talking about, man? Fucking living doll, motherfucker. You know, um, I do think that once they got to the, the medium, like if you're inviting a medium into your home, like you definitely believe that something's going on there. I think it was already like in their heads, and I think that it was already like. You guys are like, like wh- whatever part of it was like true. If it was just a roommate fucking with her at one point, and now everything like is like bothering the 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 roommates or whatever. Like, I don't know. I just think that they made up most of the scary shit that's in this story. And then best case scenario, maybe it was a joke at first, and then when you started fucking with the other side like that with the medium, maybe the other part of it, maybe the other part of it was true. And the, but I think that maybe. To give maybe give uh, the devil his due here, Ed and Lorraine Warren, when you start bringing in the medium and bringing in those spirits, 
it could explain for that. But at the end of the day, do I believe in the animal story? Not really. Yeah, yeah, I don't believe in it either. Um, one of the other cases, and I will just, this is another one of their famous cases. There's also, I think The Conjuring 2 is like, is that the one where they go to London? Yeah. Okay, so The Conjuring 2, this is another one of the, is it also just called Conjuring 2? Conjuring 2. I don't believe, I don't know if there's a subtitle to it. Conjuring 2, London. The Enfield Poltergeist? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, I always think that this is one of those cases that I think the family is like, and the family's been heavily accused of like being fucking phonies in this story. Um, and so like this was one of those things that even if you do research on this one, you got to be super careful because like it's totally biased research one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a lot of speculation regardless of what side you feel on uh, feel about this that the family is in on a lot of this stuff uh, because the family does not come across as, <laughs> as very honest. Uh, but basically they move into this new home and it's a relatively – newish property that was an older property before mm-hmm. uh but basically they start experiencing paranormal things right off the bat they're experiencing and they're pretty extreme things like the Annabelle one uh, Annabelle doll one is like not even close to what these people are yeah, experiencing the girls are levitating they're levitating chairs will like stack up on a table like everything's opening and closing by itself like it's over the top like it's like Dude, this is like gold mine. All we had to do, uh, we only had the ability to record this stuff. Mm. Like it was, it was like too good to be true type paranormal stuff. And they did audio recordings of it, but I mean, and later on, not to spoil this too much or whatever, but I only wrote like maybe one line of notes on this. Just the year it happened in nineteen uh, nineteen seventy seven. Uh, but later on, the girls would say like, "Yeah, dude, like we were just fucking around. Like everything was faked." Um, I believe even like the police officers, uh, you mentioned it last week when we were discussing whether or not to do this topic. They said that, you know, oh, yeah, we saw a chair move. You know, the girls would be like, yeah, we had that on a string. Uh, some of the audio recordings of like drawers and, you know, things opening up. That was us like walking behind and doing that. Uh, there was like, I believe, like four or five girls in the house. So when one girl would be distracting like an investigator or a police officer or whatnot, you know, the other girls would be doing some of this stuff, you know, opening, closing things with strings and whatnot. So th- it was bar- very much a prank. Now, the way this gets tied into Ed and Lorraine Warren, obviously, Ed and Lorraine Warren were not going to miss the opportunity, you know, to, to 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 write another book, if you will, or have another fucking story for their fucking uh, portfolio. They traveled to fucking uh, Enfield. They knock on the door and assume that they already automatically know who they are. The dad's like, what the fuck are you guys? Who the fuck, you pimp-looking motherfucker? Like, get get off of my property or whatever. And he introduces himself as a paranormal research, and he's like, you know what? Get the fuck off my property. Like, this is all bullshit anyways. And that's the beginning and the end of Ed and Lorraine's involvement with that story. Yeah, I mean, somehow it still made an entire movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, man. That, that's, like, such a bad case, especially, like, the big thing that people want to tie into that case is that picture of that girl, like, it looks like she's flying. It actually just looks like she's jumping. It does, yeah. It, like it looks, it literally looks like a girl's jumping off a bed, mm-hmm. and people are like screaming in the background, and they were yeah. got it. Yeah, um, I mean, it depends. It's perception. It depends on how you're presented. If you're presented with that picture of like, oh, hey, dude, this this girl's levitating, then you're gonna see her levitating. But if you're going into it like as just like, oh, here, here's a picture of some girls, you know, uh, teenagers doing teenager shit. You're gonna be like, oh yeah, she just jumped off her bed. This is a picture of a slumber party. Yeah. And like it literally looks like that. It's the like, babysitters club. Yeah, it like just does not even not even impressive. 
but yeah, I mean, that's who these guys were, guys and gals. They were just traveling around the the world looking for paranormal things to, like, milk off of. Um, and that's, you know, that, that was their hustle. Uh, one story, I mean, this is probably their most famous story in which got them, like, you new know, national record addiction. And obviously, you know, the movie, the Amityville Horror, oh, which, right, you know, right. there's two stories or two movies on and, you know, countless TV shows and whatnot. Uh, but to shotgun this story a little bit, again, could be its own topic down the line. Uh, but November 13th, 1974, at 3 a.m., the the demon hour, um, Ronald DeFeo kills six members of his family. So his mom, dad, and his four siblings uh, in Amityville, New York. Um he, you know, busts into a bar and, you know, pretends like, hey, somebody, you know, some, uh, I believe he blamed it on the mob. Uh, somebody, you know, broke into our house and killed my whole family. I need help. And eventually, you know, it turns out that, you know, police find that the murder weapon belonged to DeFeo and, you know, all this or whatever. And he eventually admits to the murder. Now, this uh, DeFeo character is kind of a shady dude. You know, he's hooked on, you know, heroin and he's a, you know, frequent LSD user as well as I think they find like, you know, he has like some schizophrenia or whatnot. Uh, but the weird thing about this case is, is he killed everybody with a shotgun and they all were found face down in their bed or it looked like they had been sleeping and that um, it looked almost impossible, you know, for them to kill that, for him to kill that many people by himself for nobody to get up or, you know, no struggle to be at heat, you know, that they would all just be calmly like in their bed with shotgun wounds in them. So uh, eventually he tells us, you know, oh, a demon possessed me, you know, and all this stuff. And that's where the story kind of gets started with that. About a year later, December 18th, 1975, the Lutz family moves in. And, you know, as they're moving in, uh, the mom has a priest come out to bless the home. Now, Anybody that's religious knows, like, hey, whenever you move into a home, you kind of want to have it blessed and whatnot, not just be for paranormal purposes, but just, like, it's it's good luck just to have that, you know, to start your new life off with a blessing. You know, my mom came, and uh, we said a prayer, you know, when I even moved in the house. I didn't necessarily believe in that, but I was like, hey, you never know, or whatever, right? Uh, but anyway, she has her priest come in and bless the home. Priest goes upstairs, you know, where, you know, the mom and dad were murdered, unbeknownst to him. And he says that he, well, according to the story, he says he hears a, a voice say, get out. He comes down and he tells the family, like, hey, whatever you do, do not put anybody in this bedroom. You know, do whatever you want in there, but don't don't make that a place where you guys are going to sleep or whatever, right? So the family was like, hey, yeah, sure, no problem. So this whole story with the Lutz family happens within 28 days. To shotgun this, um, they notice, you know, immediately from the first night, you know, lights would go on and off, personality changes within the family, uh, declining health. Uh, the youngest daughter said that she had an imaginary friend named Jody, who was a red-eyed pig that, you know, could, you know, be as big as the house or as small as anything uh, in the house. Uh, they found they would feel or they would smell foul odors emitting, you know, from random places of the home. Uh, the porcelain would start to blacken and then disappear throughout the house. Uh, in the middle of uh, December, uh, hundreds of flies uh, would go into that room, which they turned into a sewing room, which is odd because flies usually during, you know, the cold of winter don't really, you know, infest like that way. Uh, the dad would continuously wake up at 3.15 in the morning, the same time frame uh, the, of the, De, uh, the DeFeo murders. Uh, wife, uh, he also saw that his wife turn into a 90-year-old hag. Uh, anytime they would call the police, the phone lines would be cut off, 
Anytime they would call priests, um, as soon as a priest would answer, the phone would cut off as well. Uh, they also saw what would be later described as ectoplasm, so like green goo coming out of the walls yeah. of the home. And um, on their final night, the 28th night, uh, they described you know banging so loud that it sounded like there was a marching band, uh, you know, living in their living room or whatnot and performing like you know a halftime show. <laughs> Uh, but also saw, you know, furniture moving. And so immediately they run outside of the house and leave it permanently. 20 days later, a reporter from Channel 5 New York calls the Warrens and other paranormal experts in. Uh, Ed, he just says that, you know, when he's in the basement, you know, doing some research and, you know, saying like the Lord's Prayer, if you will, uh, he was pushed down. Lorraine says that, you know, she sat down in one of the beds and all of a sudden started seeing, you know, visuals of all of the DeFeo family that was found there previously. Uh, their corpses, you know, laying there and rotting, if you will, if whatnot. And then one of the paranormal researchers, and you'll see this like whenever you look up the Amityville horror, uh, like a demon boy being photographed, you know, in the upstairs banister where that room was located. Now, you know, some people, you know, have said that like, oh, it must have been, you know, somebody that was there. Uh, you know, during the paranormal research, but a lot of the researchers said like, hey, they had absolutely no children that were there when they were doing this. Um, but when they started doing more research on the home, they found out that there was a black magician named John Lethicum Le- uh, who lived there uh, before the house was actually built, and that uh, when he passed away, his body was actually buried on the premises and actually cursed the, the whole land. And then they also said, too, that when they were doing research, that the, an Indian tribe called the Shin, Shinnecock um, <laughs> Indians, uh, what they would do is, is they would abandon you know, their sick and mentally ill on um, a building that was located on the premises for them to you know, live the rest of the years or to die within that home. So they believe that because that black magician you know, lived there and his body was buried on the premises— and that, you know, the ancient Indian spirits of, you know, rejected, you know, Indian uh, tribesmen, they believe that that's why, you know, the DeFeo, you know, he had the demon possess him, mm-hmm. as well as uh, the Lutz family. That's why they went through what they went through as well. That's pretty wild. Um, I mean, the, the Lutz family does come out and basically uh, admit that it was a hoax, um, which kind of is a deflating moment. For Did they come out, or was it the lawyer for DeFeo? So it was. I know that the DeFeo thing also had like some like weird thing, but the but the Lutz uh, the Lutz family, and then also the Lutz family were tied into um, Anson. Is, is Anson the lawyer? Yeah. So what I saw was is that the family never deviated from their story, and I guess they you know they pieced out and moved to California or something like that after the twenty eight days. But that Anson, the lawyer for DeFeo, uh, Ronald DeFeo, he said that him and the father Lutz, that they made up this whole story, you know, during the trial of Ronald DeFeo uh, to, one, to get them out of that house. I don't know why they would get out of the house when they just bought it. You have to go through escrow. You have to go through hell, basically. And we're not talking about paranormal hell mm-hmm. whenever you buy a house or whatever, right? Um, I don't know why the motive would that be. So I don't know if I trust Anson 100% here. Uh, but he said that over many bottles of wine that they created this story uh, to help uh, DeFeo out with his appeal, that maybe the jury might acquit him 
if uh, they thought that he was demon possessed, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm basing this off Snopes, so okay. Depending on who you, depending on who you, that liberal media. Source. Sorry, I don't mean to throw a bunch of liberal media down your throat, <laughs> but uh, it, it does say that the. Uh, the story was made up by the Lutz and further sensationalized by Anson. Uh, whether the whether uh, real victims of the Andrew Hoarder film, uh, uh, yeah. So it's basically just basically saying that that the that the Lutz made it up, and then Anson hmm. was like, "I'm gonna fucking ham this shit up." Uh, that's what the, they claim on on that one. Hmm. I didn't see that, but I'll check it out. But. Um, but don't trust Snopes, guys. Uh, <laughs> nothing they say is true, according to our homie. Um, what, what was her name? God, I can't remember. Brandy. Her name. Brandy. Yeah. <laughs> can't check fact. Uh, can't trust fact checkers. I mean, I, I mean, if Snopes says it on there, that's interesting. I'll check it out. But the only thing I saw was just it was a claim by the lawyer, but the Lutz family have uh, stuck through their guns or whatever. But um, I, I mean, it would be interesting. Um, to know what the real story is. I did see that a lot of that, that background research, like the Indians that were there, those in that Indian tribe was actually 70 miles away. And that the actual black magician that that was talked about actually lived in a township, uh, next door. So it would be like Tulare County as opposed to Kern County. But that was like the only black person they could think of. I was like, what about that black magician? No, not ethnically black, but the actual practice of black like black magic. Yes. Not a black magician like fucking Wayne Brady. Oh dude. I was like, I was already thinking like, who am I going to get to play? This got to be Dave Chappelle dressed like a black magician, but like old school, like he's got the white shoes with the, with the black, like the the little black toe, toe protector or whatever it is. And, He's pulling rabbits out of the house. Like, oh, I didn't know he was doing like black magic. Still, Dave Chappelle's gonna play him in my movie, but okay. uh, but obviously it's gonna be a little more like racist because I want it to be like, oh, for now, like you're gonna paint like the white skull over his face or whatever. Okay. Like, what's that one wrestler that would do like Papa Shango? Papa Shango, like, okay, so we're just we just bought a Papa Shango costume. We're just gonna have <laughs> you wear that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it's interesting though. Um, I do like. So I don't want to say every case that they they did was bullshit, um, but when you look at the facts of it or whatnot, like let's just pretend like, hey, seventy miles away, the actual Indian tribe uh, actually lived. Maybe what they did is they marched. You know, they're sick and they're mentally ill, seventy miles away to die at this. You know, on this land, and maybe there was this black magic practitioner, not this black magician, <laughs> but black magic practitioner. You know, maybe, you know, there was something to it. And if that perfect storm of all these negative energies being there, maybe it had something to do with the Defoe uh, or Defoe, Defoe murder. And maybe it did explain some of the shit that went on, you know, on the Lutz's home, you know, when they moved in. Uh, But who knows? Like I said, uh, you're saying on Snopes that the family had came out. I didn't see that. But hey, if they did come out, then that'd be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, I'm basing it on a was if you I guess on Snopes if you Google was the Annabelle hoarder uh, based on the true story and then it gives you that result of all this stuff about about it about that lawyer and all this stuff I don't know I mean whatever their cases are only part of their story um, it, however you want to feel about them I mean I think that if you're already like sold on like like Josh Baggins and like, oh, he's telling the truth and all this stuff. Every mm-hmm. every time that they feel the cold presence and a scratch, it's true. I mean, I, I mean, 
I don't think that they're getting anything wilder than what he was get, what he's getting now on his like um, travel channel TV show. You know, it, it's 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 still like up for debate. Like it's it's like oh, well that looks like a cobweb just flew in front of the camera. <laughs> like I don't know. Um, but what what is for sure? Well, actually, I don't even want to say what's for sure certain. I mean, if you if you look at like Ed's Ed's history, and I'm only trying to speed this up because I got to go pretty soon. But um, but uh, Ed as a person had kind of this weird shady pimp persona to him, which we've kind of like joked about <laughs> before we started recording. And I was hoping to find this like weird picture of him dressed like a fucking pimp. But anyways, um. They did have a weird marriage. In mm-hmm. in the movies, they're always presented as like this perfect couple that goes ghost hunting together and they always figure it out at the end and they fall in love even more madly in love at the mm-hmm. end. The reality is that there were reports of abuse from Ed uh, that he was not treating his wife properly. And not only that, but they were uh, also living with a 15-year-old Judith teenager. <laughs> I was going to say woman, but it's a teenager. Child. Child. What was her name? Penny? Judith Penny. Judith Penny. Um, yeah, it was like, this is this is the part where it gets pretty despicable, so mm-hmm. you might want to put earmuffs on. Yeah. Any children in the house, protect them from Ed and uh, put some earmuffs on her. But um, according to Judith Penny, who came out quite a few decades later, uh, right after the first Conjury movie comes out, uh, saying that, you know, Ed... Initially, before you know, he you know starts the New England Society for Paranormal Research and whatnot. I was a bus driver uh, for the city uh, that they lived in, and that uh, he was driving for the school. And uh, they kind of started a relationship when she was fifteen. I guess she had like a troubled past or a bad family or whatever. Uh, but uh, Ed somehow gets a fifteen-year-old uh, to live with the family. And apparently uh, Lorraine was okay with this. And I guess she had like her own apartment uh, within the house, uh, the Warren's house and whatnot. And uh, Judith said that, you know, some nights she would sleep with uh, Lorraine and some nights she would sleep with her. And um, she lived in their home, the same home as them, for 40 years. And that Ed and Lorraine kind of presented her as their niece uh, that... um, she had nowhere else to go and that they were kind of doing an act of charity by letting her live there because, you know, hey, she had a troubled past, if you will. Uh, but I guess uh, in 1978, she actually gets pregnant by uh, Ed and uh, Lorraine um, convinces her to uh, have an abortion um, and says that, hey, you need to tell everybody that, that the reason why you are having an abortion is because somebody broke into your room. In I the thought that was the, the worst thing. It's like somebody broke into your house and raped you. Yeah. It's and, like, oh, geez. Yeah. And that, um, yeah, also, too, um, that there's another case, and we'll, I'm just going to lightly touch on it. There was a, a, a Union Cemetery case where I guess there's this, uh, the tale of the white lady or whatever. Uh, Ed later on, I believe it was like, in the late eighties or early nineties, he spends like a whole week trying to capture the, this white lady ghost of union cemetery on camera and he gets fed up and she, Judith says that eventually she just puts on like some, uh, a bed sheet and he photographs her as the proof that there is a white lady of union cemetery or whatever. But, um, she kind of describes him kind of like as a shitty person that like he was physically abusive towards Lorraine. He was sexually abusive towards her, uh, that he was, uh, a pedophile, uh, that he was heavily involved with, you know, child prostitution and kitty porn. And initially, like when you read this, you're like, oh shit, like that's disgusting. 
but it's only one person's allegation. Well, when you do further research on it, uh, when Lorraine was doing the contract negotiation for the first Conjuring movie, you find that there was a lot of weird language in her contract that said that, hey, you know, you cannot put any mention of Ed or Ed or myself doing any kind of crimes, specifically any sex with minors, any sex with prostitutes, uh, no mention of, you know, child pornography or anything of the such. And uh, one of the producers uh, that were putting together the movie, they said, like, yeah, it's not unusual for people, like, when they're giving the rights to a film to have certain things that they want omitted. But this was, like, very specific stuff. And it kind of raised some eyebrows, but they said, fuck it, we're going to make a billion dollars off of this franchise, and we'll just respect Lorraine's wishes. And it, But it does kind of back up the claims that Judith Penny was talking about here. It does, and um, a couple of things that are also important is at one point the police do get called uh, to the uh, to Ed and Lorraine Warren's house because mm-hmm. uh, things are getting so out of hand. And when the police show up to what with what you would think would be to arrest Ed for uh, having a sexual relationship with a child, they arrest uh, Judith. They arrest Judith, and uh, so that is on file that at, at age 15 she gets arrested and then sent to a to like a children's home for a while and she has to take classes to uh to basically like be out with society again and during that time period ed is picking her up from school and taking her to her classes and all this stuff so like we know that there was some kind of relationship there i mean this is a lot of this is speculation however you want to feel whether you believe whether you believe uh I keep calling, wanting to call her Penny, but what's her first name? Judith. Judith. Um, it, it's it's a pretty strange case. Um, it, it. I was just thinking as you were saying all that stuff a little while ago. Um, you know, he did study like the priesthood for a while, and <laughs> there's a lot of weird shit that goes on when in like. Well, the Catholic Church um, said that he was the foremost expert on demonology. Like mm-hmm. the only, I think at the, at one time he was the only person given like the title, you know, that wasn't a clerical member, like a lay expert, they said. Uh, The Catholic Church gave him permission to go out on a lot of these cases later on, like in the 70s and 80s. And for a while, he was the only person that wasn't a clerical member to be able to do that. Yeah, Uh, I just think that it's, uh, you know, a lot of priests are into weird shit. Maybe that's the way he like justified it. Maybe it's not the first time he saw someone else experiencing that kind of like relationship with a child mm-hmm. uh and that's why he thought it was okay to do those types of things i don't know it's pretty weird i think that lorraine was probably just not wanting to break up a christian marriage mm-hmm. and she just kind of kept going along with it and going along with it i'm not well too then you got to realize too like they were starting to gain notoriety and then judith said like in some of her her testimony, I guess you could say, it wasn't an official court testimony, but it was a, a, a statement held under oath that Lorraine's true God was money. And you got to realize that with some of these cases, like the Annabelle case, the Amityville horror case, uh, the Perrin family from 1971, that was their second case, the big case that they had, you know, the one that The Conjuring is based upon, that as they were getting these cases in their portfolios, they're doing lectures, they're appearing on numerous TV shows. It was so many that it was like in the thousands. There was nine books, nine, 10, 11 books written. Goddamn, there's a whole fucking new universe of movies. But we forget, like in the 70s, there was a lot of movies and made-for-TV movies that were based upon these stories. And guess what? 
that Warrens were always consultants on that mo- those movies, and therefore that's how they were getting their cash flow. And yeah. so Judith was saying, like, yes, that's the reason why she stuck around because, hey, she was profiting, profiteering off of this, and they were the yin to their yang. You couldn't have one without the other. Yeah. I mean, the Amityville Horror. I can't talk today. The first time I ever heard about that friend of the show, Ross, when we were in elementary school, he told me, he's like, have you seen the movie? And I didn't even know it was a movie. I actually still have not seen that movie. Oh, really? Um, but uh, he was like all about it, and that's the first time I ever heard about that. So I know that that movie was out there, and it was making like blockbuster nights a thing for kids in elementary school. <laughs> um, but um, I do know art has to go. Um, what we could do is I could put a pause on this and then kind of tell the rest of the story. Um, but um, art, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I think that's it. I mean, obviously they're 100% legit. Um, um, they're 100% telling the truth. I totally put all my faith and trust into everything that they do and say. Magic is real and I believe in you. Yeah. I, nothing that they've done or said, uh, makes me believe otherwise. Yeah. So with that said, I can tell, I can go ahead and tell the rest of these. Okay. You got it. If you want to just pause it. Art's got to go watch a dune. I got to take off here. All right, everybody, thank you for listening to the first half of this Ed and Lorraine Warren episode. Unfortunately, my co-host, Art Trejo, had to take off. He had to tend to some uh, personal business, um, some official demonology business, if you will. Not really. He had to go see a movie. But um, (laughs) with that said, your boy in the place to be, Mr. Jacob P., is going to go ahead and finish off this episode. Um, I didn't want to just cut it off there or bring back art next week, you know, for two more cases. But I just wanted to give you guys a full scope of um, some of the more popular cases. And like I said earlier in the episode, uh, we'll go ahead and, you know, cover some of these cases in more in depth. But I'm going to go ahead and shotgun a few, uh, a couple other cases um, that I just wanted to touch on before, you know, we sign off for the week and bid adieu to this uh, October fright fest of episodes that we have going on but don't worry we cover creepy topics all year round uh but i wanted to cover um the parent family which was the basis for the original conjuring movie as well as the werewolf that's right werewolf uh bill ramsey uh but before we get before i get into that um i do want to go ahead and say i mean earlier in this episode art was talking about how snope said that the uh, the family from the Amityville Horror, uh, let me bring up the Lutz family, um, had admitted that it was all a fake. It was all a hoax. Well, your boy, after Art left, fact-checked the fact-checking site. And um, I read the Snopes article, and the Snopes article doesn't say that at all. So I don't know if that's a testament of my co-host uh, reading comprehension or what. But, um, no, basically what it was saying is, like I was, like I was saying, is that the, the lawyer... Um, for Mr. DeFeo had said that he conspired with uh, Father Lutz um, to say that that the whole thing was made up. And then also, too, um, many years later, the author said that he embellished some of the accounts that the Lutz family gave him to, you know, sex up the book a little bit, as well as the movies as well. I think that goes without saying. Anytime, like, a movie is based upon a true story, 
you know, Hollywood's going to take some liberties so that way they can sell some tickets, get some butts in seats, if you will. And um, that's pretty much what the article was saying. Um, the only thing that I could find, you know, either on Snopes or anything else, was that um, one of the one of the siblings had said that, you know, the father, you know, was dabbling in the occult. And, you know, once he got a taste of fame, the story kind of embellished after a while. But no, the Lutz family maintained that the Amityville Horror House was, uh, they definitely went through some shit. But we'll go into that whenever we cover, you know, Amityville for an hour, hour and a half, uh, sometime down the line. But um, to jump into it, another haunted house. This one I actually believe as well. I do believe that Amityville was uh, haunted. Um, I do believe also that the Perrin family, uh, that the original Conjuring movie was based upon, um, their house was actually legitimately haunted as well. And maybe the Ed and Lorraine Warren helped. Maybe they didn't, but we'll get into that. Uh, but in 1971, to shotgun this, um, in Harrisville, Rhode Island, um, uh, the, the Perrin family had moved into this uh, this farmhouse. Uh, again, this is like a theme that, that keeps on coming up, is that, you know, this large family, I believe there was like five daughters and then a mom and dad that moved in here. And, you know, the story's always that, you know, that, oh, they got to buy this house because they got to they gotta shelter this large family, but... Uh, they only have uh, so much money, so they find a deal on, you know, a very large house out in the country. It seems to be a theme. Uh, but when they moved in, they noticed small occurrences um, happening, such as the mom noticed that the broom would go missing. And that, you know, she would sweep up the floor once she found the broom. And that all of a sudden there would be dirt where there wasn't dirt before, like a little little ghostly pile of dirt in the middle of the house. And... Um, all of a sudden, she would hear scratching, almost like as if you know somebody was running their nails on the kettle in the kitchen. Creepy shit. And then all five girls said that you know when they initially moved in the house that they would they would see spirits or they would see entities moving out throughout the house. <sighs> the mom was kind of getting sick of this shit, so she did some research on the house and found out that this house had been within the same family for eight generations. And that family, you know, kept incurring many deaths in the house. Um, many of the children died either by drowning in a local creek. You know, the movie kind of illustrates that there's kind of a creek running through uh, the, the back of the house a couple of yards out. Um, but many of the children within the original owner's family, you know, they found their children mysteriously just drowned in the, the creek. Um, there was a lot of murders that uh, took place in the house as well as there was a hanging in the attic. Someone had hanged themselves in the attic. I don't care if you believe in ghosts or not, but that's a lot of fucked up shit. A lot of negative energy within a house that's going to be there, you know, if all that took place. But um, upon, you know, further investigation, um, they found out that there was a lady who had lived there in the mid-1800s named Bathsheba Sherman. Now, Bathsheba, per local lore, uh, was said to be a Satanist and was also involved in the death of a neighbor's baby whom she was babysitting. Now, uh, per records, an investigation was done when the baby died in her care, and they found that the baby had died due to a needle being shoved through the back of its head. Um, somehow, some way, they couldn't pin the murder on Bathsheba, uh, but the local townsfolk you know, accused her of being a Satanist. And how, I mean, I couldn't really find any 
proof of this. I mean, the movie states that, you know, Bathsheba had entered into a bargain with the devil, uh, you know, <laughs> married the devil himself and whatnot and cursed the house and whatnot. Uh, but, yeah, the, the locals' town folks labeled her as a Satanist. I mean, anybody that would harm a baby or a child or whatever, they, they got to be in cahoots with the devil, though, right? Uh, but anyways, uh, once the mother found out about this, she contacted, you know, a few priests. And like we had been saying earlier, a lot of priests had kind of been giving the family some the stiff arm, saying, oh, no, there's some logical explanation for all this. I mean, why would we send our, you know, our parishioners out there when all you're finding is just heaps of dirt? Maybe you're just forgetting to sweep some shit up. You know, it's a very large farmhouse. Who knows? But anyways, you know, getting tired of getting stiff-armed by the powers that be within the church, they contact the Warrens, who make multiple trips out to the home. Uh, they do land on the fact that they do believe that the house is possessed by a few spirits. And upon learning about Bathsheba Sherman, uh, Lorraine Warren uh, says that, hey, the reason why you're incurring all this fucked up shit, um, you know, foul smells, um, I believe, you know, there was... Uh, some occurrences where, you know, the father was getting, you know, swiped at and had claw marks on him and whatnot is because Bathsheba saw that the mother parent, she she was a threat to the ownership of the home. That Bathsheba, she was the mistress of the house, if you will, and did not take kindly to that. So, you know, they made multiple trips out there blessing the house or trying to get other priests or whatnot. Because I think that needs to be uh, reinforced is that the... The movies make it seem that Ed Warren would do the exorcisms, and I don't believe that ever really took place. They would always just kind of be the middleman for actual, uh, you know, people within, you know, the church to come out and either bless the house or perform an exorcism or whatever. They were just kind of uh, the middleman on that. But, um, you know, they, they made multiple trips out, and they actually found, you know, some, you know, some backstories on Bathsheba. They kind of fueled, you know, the... Uh, the theory of that's what was going on in the house. And then the mother actually said that when she was doing research on the home, she felt a prick in her leg. And when she looked down, it looked like there was like a perfect circle of a poke mark in her leg, almost like a bee sting or a needle uh, going into her leg. So that she kind of when she told Lorraine about this, you know, Lorraine, you know, obviously went up the route that, oh, it was Bathsheba from beyond. She carried a needle into the afterlife, and now she is harassing people with mounds of dirt and sewing needles to fuck with them. So um, <laughs> after a few trips out there, Lorraine Warren actually um, conducts a seance. Now, Andrea Perrin, who later in 2011 wrote a book called House of Darkness, House of Light... Uh, states that she witnessed this seance taking place and said that she saw her mom speaking in tongues. Uh, she was speaking in a voice that was not her own. Uh, she saw a chair levitate and being thrown across the room. And it was about this time that the dad, Roger Perrin, said that, you know, he kicked the Warrens out. You know, he had had enough of this tomfoolery and, you know, for bowed them from coming back to the house. They just felt that the Warrens were doing nothing more than, you know, kind of making the spirits a little bit more angry. So um, I didn't really find anything. And, I, like, again, 
we'll go into a deeper dive on this whenever we cover this in the future. Uh, but I didn't really see that, you know, an exorcism had really been done on this house or that even a blessing had been done on the house. But the family continued to live in the home for many, 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 many years until about 1980. I think they, you know, slowly but surely started to move out. And they said since that time, since that seance, that there was really no no other ghostly occurrences. So maybe maybe Lorraine did something or maybe that, you know, the father just getting pissed off and saying, you know, I'm fuck this shit. <laughs> kind of put a halt to all of this but that's the story of the the conjuring home now the next story is one that i kind of thought was a little bit amusing Uh, it's the werewolf bill ramsey Uh, bill ramsey uh, states in 1952 when he was nine years old he started to feel this cold uh, breeze uh, brush upon him and he went into this trance where he was running with the wolves if you will and so it was kind of like he was under some kind of mystic spell, if you will. Uh, he was under this spell until his mother started to call him in for dinner, and this sent him into a rage. And at this point, he started ripping out the fence posts from the front yard. Now, I don't know if anybody's tried to rip out a fence post, but those things are mighty hard to get out of the ground. Me at 36 years old, I don't think I can do it. But apparently, at 9 years old, uh, Bill Ramsey was ripping these fence posts out of the ground. Either they were poorly placed into the yard, or he was just possessed by a demon, or he was becoming a werewolf. Uh, but his parents state that they, you know, at this point, you know, they saw their little 9-year-old boy, you know, ripping fence posts out of the yard. They ran into the house, and they started seeing him gnawing on the fence, the wire mesh within his mouth. Stayed in the house until he stopped doing this. Now, Nothing happened um, until about 15 years later. So in 1967, Bill, you know, he's he's a he's living the English dream, if you will. He was English. I forgot to say that. And you know, he has a wife. He has a children. And he starts having all these crazy dreams. He starts having these dreams about him running with wolves again. You know, he starts to, you know, feel his chest palpitate and has this urge of this call of the wild, if you will. And uh, he has these dreams where his wife is running away from him. And, um, you know, in his dreams, he's trying to chase after her to, you know, say, hey, honey, what's what's going on? And, you know, the faster he runs, the faster she runs in terror. And that was about it from 1967. But about 15 years after that, so 30 years after the first initial uh, trance that he went in, in 1983, uh, he states that he was out drinking with friends, and he started to feel that feeling again. He started to feel that that cold, hard uh, pain in his chest. So he goes into the bathroom to kind of wash up, wash up a little bit. Maybe maybe the cold water might snap him out of it. And he looks in the mirror, and he doesn't see his own face, but he sees a wolf. Upon seeing this, he tells his friends, "Like, hey, yo, we got to get out of here, guys. You know, I'm not feeling too well." Maybe those fish and chips that I ate, maybe they're not sitting right. You know, I got to sit on the toilet for a couple hours. And so uh, his friends agree. You know, they've had they had, a, they had a few pints, if you will, and they're ready to go home. So Bill and his friends, while they are on the road, Bill starts to have this overwhelming feeling again and starts to go into this rage, similar rage when he was ripping out the fence posts. And somehow, some way, you know, he starts to bite one of his friends on the legs. Now, the the person that was driving, uh, every article that you read states that he calmly pulls over. I'm sorry, but somebody fucking you know bites my friend in the back seat. You know, I'm 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 fucking freaking out. But apparently, he calmly pulls over, 
and all of the friends, you know, I think believe there was like four or five of them. Uh, they 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 try to tackle him and subdue him until he starts to calm down. And I guess uh, that's the end of it for uh, that period of time. But 18 months later, he starts to feel that pain again. And knowing the fact that, you know, he had ripped out some fence posts and, you know, bit his friend on the leg, he checks himself into the ER. And, you know, he's attempting to tell the nurse, like, hey, you know, there's some fucked up shit within me. I, I don't know what's going on, uh, but you might want to get some other people in here. And uh, as the nurse is turning to uh, go get some help or get another doctor, uh, he falls within this trance and bites this poor nurse on the arm. Uh, apparently, you know, this sends him into an even further rage since he tasted the blood of a sexy nurse, I'm going to assume. And uh, it takes about six or seven orderlies, you know, to get him under control. I believe they shoot him up with some kind of serum. Uh, but the police come, and I guess at that time when the police came, he had been, you know, calmed down. So they let him go. Uh, it's very nice uh, community, I guess, because this happens in this happens in my town. This motherfucker's getting thrown into jail <laughs> or probably beaten to death. But um, uh, yes, he's free to leave um, on his own accord. But two months later, he checks into the same hospital uh, because he's starting to feel this rage again. But this time, the rage is almost uncontrollable. You know, he beats up everybody in the you know the examination room. Uh, he beats up about six or seven orderlies. He's throwing beds across the hallway. Uh, some people are describing that um, his uh, facial features, he starts to to morph into uh, some kind of uh, dog animal. Or uh, also, too, his hands start to, to, to curl up into, like, some claws. Um, some people were describing this as uh, very similar to uh, the werewolf in, or American Werewolf in London or uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller, which is kind of convenient given the fact that it was 1984 and I believe those movies came out in 80 and 81 or that music video came out in 81 and um, anyways it takes a whole squadron of police uh, to subdue him I believe it was like uh, seven or eight police officers or constables if you will because we're in England and uh, he beats up one police officer so bad that that police officer has to stay in the hospital for four days so um, again, very nice uh, police force because they, I guess they, they do arrest him, but, you know, they take him into the police station's examination room and the police doctor checks him out and they cannot find anything wrong with him. And, you know, either physically or, or mentally, you know, there's like, hey, I mean, he seems fine. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he just had some bad coffee. Maybe he needs to use promo code America at checkout at Caveman Coffee and get himself some quality coffee. Stop messing around with that Folgers bullshit. Um, but he's fine up until 1987. Now, this part of the story is a little humorous because uh, he makes a citizen's arrest on a teenage prostitute. He's bringing in this teenage prostitute into police custody. I don't know. This is this is a different time, I guess, in a different part of the world because I cannot see this happening in my hometown, without this guy getting arrested as well. Uh, but he brings in a teenage prostitute, and as he's doing the paperwork and the processing and talking to you know the, the police officer there um, to give him the story, um, he starts to feel that pain in his chest again. And uh, every story that I was reading online says that the police officer made a mistake of touching uh, Mr. Ramsey on the arm, and this sent him in that t- into that wolf and rage once more 
And um, I guess that as the story goes, this police officer was about two times bigger than Mr. Bill. And um, he's thrown to the floor and Bill Ramsey uh, starts to choke him to death. Now, the police officer was within two seconds within his own death before, uh, you know, the whole police station comes out and subdues Mr. Ramsey. You know, they shoot him up with some kind of serum that calms him down. Uh, but again, the doctors, they examine him once more and they cannot find anything wrong with him. By this time, though, uh, the local media um, in England, the fake news, um, they start to publish all of these accounts. And um, he's known as the werewolf of, uh, of London, basically. And uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, <laughs> not once to uh, let a good story fly by them, uh, they contact a local newspaper called The People. And uh, they, they arrange uh, that the newspaper to sponsor a trip out to Connecticut to the Warrens' uh, home. Uh, so that they can interview Mr. Ramsey. So, you know, they, you know, they interview him and they um, automatically they believe, "Up, oh, it's a demon. There's a demon living within you, Mr. Bill." And uh we got to get we got to get it exercised. So, with the help of Bishop Robert McKenna, uh they start to perform the rites of exorcism at a church. And apparently there's a video of this. Um I couldn't really find this um either as I was doing research or this between time when Art left. I was trying to find a video of that, you know, to put a sample um, at the end of the episode, and I couldn't find it. But there is pictures of uh, this exorcism taking place. But apparently, at first, for like the first, we'll say, hour of uh, the exorcism, Bill is unamused with what's going on. You know, he's kind of, he wants this to stop, but he's kind of looking around like, oh, man, what is this hocus pocus going on? You know, nothing's happening. There's no... You know, that, those stereotypical, you know, exorcism videos where people start to go, Your mother watching with us in hell. None of that's happening. Bill's just sitting there. He's twiddling his thumbs. He's like, hey, you guys said that there was a demon with me. Uh, what's up? Where's this demon at? Uh, but eventually, that all that stereotypical shit does happen. And there's a, there's a picture of this on the internet when you uh, Google Bill Ramsey, Werewolf of London. Uh, and... Um, he his uh hands start to curl up a little bit and his face contorts now he doesn't turn into a werewolf he's not looking like michael jackson in thriller or a american werewolf in london or a, a london werewolf in america <laughs> uh he just looks like a rough character now when you look up bill ramsey and if you're watching the youtube i'll have a picture there for you guys he just—he looks like a rough character, you know. I'm gonna stop just short of saying he's kind of an ugly guy, but he just—he just looks rough. And when he's making this contorted face, um, he looks even rougher. So um, I don't—he's not turning into a werewolf. And then when his hands are kind of curling up, they're not turning into claws or paws or whatever. They just look like somebody that's curling up their hands or doing like a creepy motion with it, or hey, maybe having some kind of. Uh, Almost looks like a seizure, if you will, kind of thing. But I can see somebody being a little extra within the hospital, being afraid because, hey, this dude's flipping over beds and, you know, throwing medication across the floor and, you know, uh, laying the smack down on some uh, orderly's candy asses in the hospital. So maybe that's why, you know, they thought, oh, my God, it's a werewolf. Um, but um, they perform the exorcism. They get the werewolf demon out. And, um, and by they, I mean 
the bishop, not Ed and Lorraine Warren. They were just kind of sitting on the sidelines watching all of this happen. And um, apparently, as of today, since that time frame, um, Bill has not had one of those episodes, and um, which is good for him. Um, but it's hard to say, okay, was this really a demon? Or was this just a case of uh, mind over matter type of thing? So, I mean, you hear of people, you know, quitting smoking, you know, due to, you know, hypnosis and whatnot. So I don't know if it's real or not, but hey, to to give Ed and Lorraine Warren, to give the devils their due, uh, they did get this man the help that he needed because apparently in the year 2021, since this time in the, the late 80s, Bill has not had another one of those attacks. But... With that said, to kind of wrap up this episode, um, the Connecticut Skeptic Society, uh, ran by Perry DeAngelis and Bob and Stephen Novella, brothers, um, they did an investigation on Ed and Lorraine Warren to, uh, to, to kind of verify some of their claims. Uh, Ed, you know, said that, you know, they would, you know, try to find a logical explanation before jumping to the conclusion that it's the demons or, you know, evil spirits or ghosts or whatnot. Uh, but Perry DeAngelis said they found no compelling evidence that supported any of the Warrens' claims. Uh, they said that they um, did not use uh, the scientific method in their investigation, and they have predetermined conclusions which they adhere to both literally and religiously. Uh, they said that, you know, the the museum that they have in their home, um, I don't know if we said this or not on the first half or not, but uh, after every investigation that the Warrens go on, they kind of take a piece of uh, that home or, in the Annabelle case, they straight up just take the doll and they place it into their house where they have this uh, large museum of haunted artifacts uh, but uh, Perry D'Angelo said it's it's basically just a bunch of Blarney. It's a bunch of uh, cheap Halloween props. Um, and there's videos on YouTube of this museum. And, I mean, it looks creepy just because they, they kind of creep it out a little bit. And um, if you know the, some of the stories behind them, I mean, they can present themselves as creepy. But, you know, there's like a samurai suit. There's like a monkey like one of those old school monkey toys that like bang the the symbols together. Obviously, there's the Annabelle doll, uh, but there's some other stuff too, like you know a a, a coffin that supposedly is from a, a real life vampire and whatnot. But they keep all of this in one place, and they have a priest come by uh, every day to bless all of that to keep you know the demons at bay. Uh, but uh, Perry DeAngelis said that you know it's a bunch of um, cheap Halloween props. He said that they are nice people, but their claims of demons and ghosts to be at best tellers of meaningless ghost stories or at worst dangerous frauds. Uh, he said they have a lot of, uh, they have a ton of fish stories about evidence that got away. So apparently, you know, some of the more compelling things, like I was saying with, you know, the lady of uh, Union Cemetery, uh, apparently there's a video uh, that Ed Warren um, had videotaped. And if you believe um, Judith Penny, that was basically her in the video. But um, a lot of stuff like that, there's videotape that's missing or, you know, they can no longer find or it, it, it didn't show up on film or whatever. So there's, like I guess, a lot of stories like that. Um, but they basically believe that, you know, they're, they're not being 100%, 100% correct in their investigations when they go out to these homes. Now... My opinion, 
might differ from Art's a little bit. Art, if you couldn't tell from the first part of the episode, uh, he doesn't believe that any of these cases um, were due to, you know, demonic possession or ghosts or anything like that. And that Ed and Lorraine Warren were basically a bunch of frauds. Uh, my kind of conclusion on uh, the Ed and Lorraine Warren is I do believe that they did believe in in their work. Uh, when you watch uh, Lorraine Warren, um, she definitely, when she's retelling some of these stories, she she believes uh, what she saw was uh, due to you know demons or ghosts or whatever the paranormal. Um, either she got really good at retelling these stories, and you know she was a good method actor. Or, you know, this this stuff really did happen. Um, some of these things, I, some of these cases, I do believe, kind of like the Annabelle story, I do believe that it was uh, started off as a joke. I do believe the boyfriend in that story was playing with the two girls at first. And then I do believe that the girls fucked up by inviting a medium into the home and, you know, inviting those spirits in. Again, if you've listened to this show long enough, you know my my tale of uh, the haunted house that I grew up in. And I don't believe that, you know, Ouija boards or, you know, seances or even exorcisms on uh, innate objects such as a home or anything like that, that that's going to do any good because you're, you're, you're communicating with spirits. You're acknowledging them, if you will. And I think when the girls did that in the Annabelle case, that invited evil spirits there. Now, uh, in in the in the story of Amityville, you know, where apparently they had and uh, some Indian uh, deaths due to you know the the Shinnecock tribe sending their sick and their mentally ill to die on that property, and then the black uh, magic practitioner, you know, being buried on the site. Uh, the parent family with Bathsheba, who you know had killed. Uh, the neighbor's baby, and, you know, a lot of deaths had occurred on that property. A lot of negative energies uh, probably lived on these property. Even, you know, the the haunting in Connecticut where it was a mortuary, and, uh, you know, they we didn't say this on there, that uh, the, one of the morticians was uh, found guilty of necrophilia. Uh, <laughs> it, it's hard to say that, yeah, yeah, there's there's some mental illness, there's some drug addiction there, but... Could there be some demons behind the scenes on that as well? And um, I do believe that Ed and Lorraine Warren, for the most part, probably went out there with good intentions to try to get to the bottom of it. Just, just a curiosity, just to document it. And they did, you know, in the case of Bill Ramsey, they did contact the proper, I don't want to say authorities, but the proper people to perform either these blessings or exorcisms. Uh, it's not like the movies where Ed Warren, you know, straps on a fucking collar and all of a sudden is, you know, exercising a demon or whatnot. You know, they did, they actually got real priests to come out and uh, do the do the, Lord, the actual Lord's work here. Um, but um, I do believe um, after the notoriety of, you know, Amityville and they saw the, the that, you know, Ed didn't have to drive a bus anymore. He didn't have to peddle his uh, paintings anymore and that, hey, they can put all these stories into a portfolio and write books about them. I do believe that they started to believe their own gimmick a little bit too much and started to embellish or even exploit a lot of these poor families for their own profit. And in a way, uh, like I touched on on the televangelism episode, I do believe that they think that what they were doing was right. I don't think they went into it with... um, 
you know, bad intentions when they were exploiting people, when they were embellishing stories a little bit, if you will. I do think it was kind of a a situation like that where, you know, they, they thought that they were doing the Lord's work when in actuality they were kind of letting the devil in a little bit because what is the root of all evil? Money, baby. So that's kind of my final thought on it. Uh, I don't think that Ed and Lorraine Warren, well, I don't think Lorraine Warren was a bad person. Ed, if he was messing around with kitty porn and underage girls, that's really bad. But um, I don't know why you guys would want to uh, fuck with shit like that. Make that your life's work. Um, you're just kind of inviting the devil to live in your playground, if you will. And I don't think that's a good idea. Believe it or not. I mean, negative energies or whatever. I don't, I don't think you should do that. But not to babble on any longer. I thank everybody for listening and enduring my solo part of the podcast. Goddamn, I hate doing these things by myself. Um, that Dune movie that Art went to go see, it better be a fucking badass movie because goddamn, I am doing the Lord's work right now. But with that said, guys, if you liked what you hear today or even if you hated what you hear today or if you want to fact check us a little bit or if you want to make some suggestions as to, hey, you guys need to research this a little bit more. You need to do a whole episode on Amityville or the parent family or or any of the other cases that we missed or may have may spoke on. Hit us up on the social medias at Art and Jacob Do America. Except for Twitter, we are at Art and Jacob Do A1. Uh, go ahead and check us out at tpublic.com or just go to artandjacobdoamerica.com where Art has provided links to our merch store if you want to support us there. Uh, like I say every week, it's not about help helping us profit off of that uh, but it is good advertisement if you're out in the public you know wearing an art and jacob do america t-shirt uh, that helps get the, the word out and doing the lord's work not like the warrens but for art and jacob but anyways if you want to sponsor us or if you want to help us out a little bit more uh guys head on over to the patreon where every single week uh, we put out a fire ass episode for you, you know, all you got to do is pledge one dollar some people, like Jesus Gutierrez, they pledge $10 because they love doing the Lord's work. And so, uh, uh, But with that said, uh, whenever you uh, pledge your funds to the Art and Dragon Do America collection plate, uh, you'll get a free episode every week. Or not a free episode, but you'll get an episode every single week. And nine times out of ten, those episodes are better than the actual episodes that you're hearing for free today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. As well as you'll get free merch in the, in the mail, stickers other stuff from our uh, our sponsors if you will uh, but if you want to support us there uh, if you want to support other great podcasts I highly recommend you check out our network at podbelly.com uh, where you'll find an array of great podcasts such as Hillbilly Horror Stories Paranormal Punchers and uh, Graveyard Tales which you know I use both of those uh, or all three of those uh, podcasts to do a little uh, research on today's topics as well so if you want to see if you want to hear, I should say, uh, some podcasters that um, do these uh, types of topics every single week, go check them out. Um, but with that said, guys, um, I don't got anything else. So uh, stay safe out there. Have a happy Halloween and good night and goodbye. Goodbye.